This is the Missio Nexus Podcast, episode 55, March 2020. Well, it's March already, hard to believe. Welcome to the podcast. Today's sponsor is the Missio Nexus Accreditation Program. We have a room for about two or three organizations this year to go through the accreditation uh, process. If you're interested and you're an organizational leader, please drop an email to us at missionexus.org. Just go to the contact us or you can write me directly, tessler at missionexus.org. Well, today we're going to be talking about innovation with Samuel Chang. I really appreciate uh, Samuel taking some time to do the interview with us. So let's roll it. Blessed to have the president and CEO of Seed Company, Samuel Chang. Thanks for being on the podcast with us today, Samuel. Thank you, Tad, for inviting me onto your podcast. One of the things that I have appreciated about Samuel and his leadership at the Seed Company and, and just watching that organization is they've implemented a number of what I think are truly innovative ideas and things. And what I'd like to do is kind of hang around on that topic of innovation today. And let me just start, Samuel, by asking you kind of a broad question on innovation. When you think about innovation in the Great Commission, what comes to your mind? What, why, does it, why are you such a driver on that concept of innovation? Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that, uh, going back to the Genesis passages, there's the creation mandate of subduing. And, um, and the whole idea of subduing is actually looking to God to say, what are things that you're going to entrust us to, to do the work of bringing a life of subduing and the flourishing uh, for uh, society, culture uh, in general. And so uh, the driver for that is really a, uh, something from the biblical mandate for me personally. But moving into specifically with C Company is that uh, C Company originally was created for the sake of disrupting the status quo in Bible translation. So that's, that's a, an original DNA that exists as well. well. So when you talk about disruption, are you, do you see, so, you know, there's different innovation philosophies, there's design thinking, there's blue ocean, there's all these different kinds of things. What are, what are the philosophies that influence you most in terms of how to execute innovation? Yeah. So, Yes, I, I recognize there's many different philosophies, several different philosophies out there. But for me, um, the biggest part for intersecting innovation is innovation needs to address any business-specific issues, challenges, and problems. Um, so um, in this case, it's a ministry, and, and we're working in a ministry. What are some of the biggest ministry issues, challenges, and problems that we need to address um, in that how come at and say, what are some things creatively we could apply to this matter of problem, challenges, or issues? So, for example, what in the life of Seed Company would you provide as an example of that? Yeah, there are two. Uh, one is that um, we have built out a platform um, that um, there are several different types of uh, real platforms out there. And uh, we built out a type of platform um, that would bring together under one platform uh, the services that would be provided digitally right across the organization with the potential of multi-tenancy 
uh, to serve other organizations. That's example. Uh, the probably the bigger one um, is that um, when we looked at the sign language um, current status, is that sometimes it takes anywhere up to 50 years for a New Testament in sign language, and sometimes it takes up to anywhere up to maybe 150 years for a full Bible for sign language. It's all video based, and so when you look at that, um, you know how could we accelerate the process, reduce the amount of time that it takes for a New Testament for or for a full Bible uh, in sign language to be made available. Incidentally, um, I am so tickled that American Sign Language in this August will have their very first full Bible um, that has come together based on um, collaboration of um, sign deaf ministries that has collaborated in now the first ASL full Bible is going to be available. But could you imagine any culture, any language for sign language would take 50 to 150 years for a New Testament or for a full Bible? Then we said, what innovation could we apply to this to disrupt the process? I, I must have a hard time believing it could take that long. What are the factors that lead to such a long time frame? Um, on a very simple scale um, is... Um, people who are qualified signers, people who are qualified consult, consultant checkers. Um, but even at the very, very basic scale is um, sign, signers and their education um, in the U.S. is about grade three, maximum grade four in general. Across the world, um, they're highly, uh, if you will, uh, illiterate. And so when you have video editing equipment, as an example, they cannot read the words on the video editing. And so uh, to even just change that process to be iconic driven um, immediately reduces time and gets more people who are in the sign community or deaf community to participate. And so um, our textual based methodology has actually prevented um, people who are in the deaf community to come in and do things for themselves, even for um, video editing, if you will. Uh, that's just an example. Um, second example that has taken so much time is that every time that you do a storytelling, if you will, or interpretation of the scripture in sign language, well, if it's signed out video-wise, uh, video not correctly, current systems, you have to go back and fix and reshoot on a green screen. And so all of that time is so time consuming. Um, I just give you some very basic examples uh, to show why this is taking so long um, to get the video based uh, scripture to be made available for sign communities or deaf communities. Okay, I got to ask a couple of obvious questions that I think our listeners would have. Um, the first one would just be, if, if it takes that long, how many sign language Bibles exist in the world? Uh, none. Uh, well, the, there's New Testament American Sign Language, but and the first time this year in August, the American Sign Language full Bible is available, and there are none, uh, nothing else. And there are approximately um, a little bit over 400 
sign languages around the world of which uh, it's been determined by the experts about 350 sign languages needs a translation um, for for Bible and um, that's a lot of work and a lot of time that's ahead there's about 70 million people uh, in the population uh, who are assigned deaf right across the world dispersed into those 350 uh, sign languages. Mm, crazy. So I, I think another question a lot of people would have, and I, I actually know that kind of know the answer to this, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask it anyway. And that is why a sign language Bible, they're sighted people. They could read. Why do we need this other form of the scriptures? Oh, for this is one is that, um, um, yes, we're all cited and sign, signers um, uh, are cited as well. There are two things here. One is that um, there, in general, in many societies, they're all outcasts. And so the ability for them to even go to school to learn things um, and for literacy to happen uh, is really, in the United States, a grade three level. Beyond that, it's not. Um, and in that, very specifically, when you and I learn, um, when we have the sound available that's matched to a text, something forms in our uh, neural pathways that we associate the sound and the words together. Signers don't have that capability to associate the words and the sound together as part of learning. So that's one. The second part is that um, why do we need to do this, um, even if they could really um, be fully literate and be fully textually uh, orientated? It's that they've grown up signing. They've grown up speaking their heart language, the language of their choice, in such that they sign. Their full body engages in that, and that's who they are. And um, missing out um, communicating to them with the scripture is is very significant and so therefore they're recognized as a unique people group population that needs to be um, having communication about the scripture and engagement in the scripture in the way that they learn their heart language which is signing mm -hmm. okay let's um let's shift back to our innovation topic i I think I heard through the grapevine that you recently did some sort of like an innovation lab or an event at your office. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, what that looked like? Oh, yes. Um, so recently, um, we, uh, we worked with um, the Oikonomia Network and the Exploration Group to pull together a conference um, and um, let me describe what Oikonomia Network is. They, there are schools right across the U.S. composed of 21 different Bible uh, colleges, seminaries, and theological institutions. So they have a brain trust of uh, theologians uh, and scholars right across uh, the United States uh, and beyond. Um, we invited them, and then through the exploration group, um, they're they helped us to explore two things. One, um, how to rezip theological teachings and Bible translations together. They became unzipped in the last century, if you will. And the other thing that was even more important 
is that because we were using artificial intelligence as a technology tool, we asked ourselves, if you have an axis, two axes, if you will, one axis um, is uh, theology and missiology, and the, act, the other axis is ecclesiology and technology. When you put those two axes together at the very center of it, uh, what are the ethics? Uh, what are the things that's going to affect um, theology and missiology when technology changes? And how is the church going to be changed by it? And so in that, we ask various questions. What is it, uh, uh, what does technology and these four axi, axial points uh, would reverse in the process, would obsolete in the process, would um, extend uh, and, and reach into the future? Um, so th those are some of the things that we were asking and seeking uh, to look at um, um, how we could come together to think about the future. Well, that's encouraging to me. There's not a lot of um, material that's been written on innovation and theology. Um, I'm aware of one book called Innovation, a primer on innovation theology. It's by a guy named Lanny Vincent. But um, past that, there's not much out there. And when you think about how much innovation we see in the ministry of Jesus, you would think it'd be a primary mm -hmm. topic um, among organizations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess it's it's really not. But there's a lot of innovation and disruption talk in the business world. Um, on that on that topic, uh, what advice would you give to ministry leaders and mission pastors, particularly as they think about how innovation should be influencing or affecting their work? Yeah, um, I, I would say um, pastors, um, mission leaders, um, leaders of organization and their boards, the following two things to keep in mind. Um, innovation happens all the time in the marketplace. And most of the people who are living and sitting in the pews are, are really out there in the real world. Um, and they're pew sitters for maybe, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. Um, and, and they're seeing innovation that's happening around them, that's affecting them. So um, I hope that uh, pastors would be very open to some ideas and suggestions to try it out and not be afraid about it. For mission leaders, organizational leaders and their boards, um, I would say innovation um, as ideas is very cheap, but as implementation of ideas comes, it's very expensive. Mm. It will disrupt, mm -hmm. and it, it it will cause people to feel very uncomfortable. Never mind who moved my cheese. It's a brand new way of doing things, and um, and that's costly. But if we don't innovate, uh, we're just surviving. And so that balance needs to be brought in and figured out. Um, I would also say this: um, look around. Uh, for organizational leaders, uh, ministry leaders, look around. If there is an sh off-the-shelf solution, buy it, as long as that vendor, of course, is going to stick around and, and survive. But if there's not an off-the-shelf solution um, that could be cobbled together, uh, you might have to build it and, um, and maintain that. So um, have to count the cost and the pros and cons of both and then decide how to, how to execute. 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I would agree that the implementation of innovation is expensive, but not uh, being innovative is far more expensive in the long run. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, we talk, you talked briefly about artificial intelligence. Um, I, th- I mean, that whole world is going to just blow up on us, I'm sure. In the next few years, it will be all around us. What what advice for ministry leaders in that arena? How how could they get their their really their mental models wrapped around the opportunities in artificial intelligence? Yeah. Um, well, Ted, um, we are living faith in a in an AI culture. Some would call it we're living faith in an emerging AI culture, uh, but I would submit that we're living faith in an AI culture already. Um, if you look at how we drive, uh, really, if you use the maps that's GPS orientated, that's a that's a smart system, and so uh, it's it's big data AI driven in the background. Uh, Waze tells you, hey, how to uh, take the shortcuts and and get to your place maybe earlier and avoid the the jams. These are all intelligent systems, um, and I would say that. It is upon us, and the question for organizational leaders is, what are some things that uh, we could uh, dabble in an experiment and say, yeah, this is, this is worthwhile, and, um, um, and we could consider this. Let me give you an example, if, if I may. Yes. Of course, uh, you, you and I uh, may do our online uh, shopping on Amazon, and then we might go to Facebook and then all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, what I was doing in Amazon has already fed into Facebook to say, hey, did you want to buy this type of detergent? And um, these are other things that you could consider. All these ads are popping up. Well, that type of uh, referral intelligence from social media systems to social media systems is already happening in the marketplace. No different in the ministry space, that type of social media intelligence is available. The question is, um, how will we be willing to use it? And you say, well, aren't you not in, invading somebody's privacy? Well, that's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it to say is that you might be ending up spending lesser amount of money and time working with people who are used to social media intelligences anyway, and you have better return on your focused dollar of working in the social media intelligence and rather than uh, just go so broad-based that um, that you're spending your money spreading across many different opportunities versus highly focused. I, I don't know if that helps, but... It's one of those sort of things one could try to think about and experiment with. And I think that day is here already. Uh-huh, that's excellent. I, I can tell you that our team is looking at how we are going to digitize uh, the ability to create new relationships over, over causes. Um, I mean, as an association, that's the kind of thing that we could be doing, and I'm sure Ministries thought about it for evangelism or discipleship. There's lots of opportunities out there. Yes. 
Okay. Well, thank you, Samuel. Our guest has been Samuel Chang from The Seed Company. That was uh, interesting, and I hope helpful for people to think about innovation in a better way. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, that's lots of good stuff from Samuel. I got to tell you, I'm concerned about the missions community when it comes to innovation. I'd love to see us doing a ton more than we are. Well, I want to point out an upcoming Missio Nexus event. We've already got, believe it or not, a couple thousand people registered for this. That's on mission. It's going to happen March 11th. It's a virtual conference. And you need to go to missionexus.org and look for On Mission. It's got a nice, beautiful green banner. And get registered and listen in with us. Uh, the topic this year is mobilization. And it's interesting. You know, when we started On Mission, we were told by one other organization, if you're going to do a virtual conference, you better be committed to doing it over the long haul because it takes a while uh, to get it ramped up. And here we are, year five. And finally, I think we're really seeing some significant numbers. And I think part of it this year is that our topic is going to be really great. And so love to see you join us for On Mission on March 11th. Um, well, a uh, question from the mailbag and something I like. Uh, the question from the mailbag this week is, Ted, what are mission agencies doing about the coronavirus? And to try to answer that question, I sent out a quick email to about uh, just under 300 mission agency CEOs and got a really awesome number of responses back, uh, close to 70 of them now. And the what I've been doing is I've been getting those emails in. I've been categorizing them in an Excel spreadsheet to try to get a sense of what agencies are doing. And I'll be collating those and sending them back out to that same set of CEOs. And so um, it's interesting. You know, we have a lot of different responses. About 25% of the organizations thus far, this could change, but 25% so far haven't taken any specific action that means that a whopping 75% of agencies have done something in response to the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, some have suspended travel in and out of China. Some have expanded that to Asia. About 20% have canceled or postponed planned get-togethers and meetings. Uh, almost every of that 75% that have done something Almost all of them have done some sort of educational program, sending out an email to their staff, etc. There are many that have suspended uh, travel, uh, actually new deployment into Asia. And we're just seeing a wide array of different responses. But uh, with 75% already taking some sort of action, that's pretty big. You know, one of the things that has prompted, I think this is an article in The Atlantic, uh, that came out last week that said 40 to 70 percent of the global population is expected to get the virus. That's a lot. Now keep in mind that some of those people will be asymptomatic. They'll get it, but they won't necessarily show any um, outward signs that they have it. But trust me, this coronavirus thing is not going away anytime soon and agencies will have to do something. So those CEOs that I emailed can look forward to getting a response from us of some sort. I think we're going to include kind of a model policy 
that somebody who's taking uh, kind of a strong stance uh, is going to share with the community. Then there will be, of course, those who decide uh, just to pray and um, not do much more. And there'll be all sorts of responses in between. So that's what's going on with the coronavirus and mission agencies. I'd be curious, by the way, if you're a church, um, to know what you're doing about short-term teams into Asia. I'm guessing that most of those are going to be called off over the next few months. All right. Um, something I like. Something I like uh, this, this uh, podcast has to do with uh, software. We at our office have been using the Microsoft Office Suite. And I know many out there are using it. And if you are on uh, TechSoup, which if you're not, you should be, TechSoup.org, you get a really awesome discount um, on the Microsoft Suite. And what, that, what I like is this implementation, implementation of Microsoft Teams. We moved our phones onto Microsoft Teams well over a year, year and a half ago. They keep improving that component. Now Microsoft Teams has gotten to the point where I think we're going to probably just use our Zoom account for very few things. And we can just do it all on Microsoft Teams and we save ourselves some licensing fees um, that way. We also have been using Basecamp for team collaboration. And my guess is we're going to sunset that in the next few months and just stick with Microsoft Teams, Planner, and Microsoft To Do. Uh, what I like about this solution is it's kind of an all-in-one. I'm reducing the number of license fees that we're paying and also kind of getting down onto one platform. I know that some people enjoy and use Slack. I've got some experience with it, but I think we're highly motivated to try to get our um, number of platforms that we're on down to as few as possible. So um, Microsoft Teams is something I like. By the way, we're using an add-on to Microsoft Teams called Standup Alice. And what that plugin does, or extension I should call it, does is it allows us to do a daily check-in using the Microsoft Teams platform. So that's one way that we've made that all that more effective. Hey, just a note that there's changes coming to the podcast. Be looking for those in the future. I think you're going to like them. It should be exciting as we move forward. Lord bless wherever you are. Have a great day.